It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome into another episode of Locked on Wolves. Today on the show, a couple of key points from the Game 5 loss at Memphis. I really want to dig in on Carl Anthony Towns, the impact he's had on how Memphis actually handles their rotations and lineups, and also how they slowed him down at the end of the game. And then a little bit more of the D'Angelo Russell late-game offense uh, issue for the Timberwolves, how that really broke down at the end of Game 5. We're going to get to all of it here on the show. Welcome in. You are Locked on Wolves. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Thursday, everybody. We're just a little bit over a day away. I guess, depending on when you're listening to this, before game six back in Minneapolis on Friday um, and uh, Wolves-Grizzlies is going to be fantastic. Today, I want to revisit a couple things from game five. We're going to get to that here in just a second. A big thank you, first of all, though, for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, the show is free and available everywhere. That includes YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, you can find Locked on Wolves. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Locked on T Wolves. Don't forget the T and also at B Beacon. And that's with two B's, two E's, C K E N. All right. So, what I want to do on the show today, as kind of this weird day in between with the two off days, I want to take a look at two of the bigger themes that came out of the game five loss to Memphis on Tuesday night. Um, at least two of the themes that I talked about on the show. I want to take pull a couple of those items out, expand on them a little bit more, uh, and get a little bit more in the weeds on some of it. I want to talk about D'Angelo Russell. I was fairly hard on him in the postcast, myself in Chilango, the live postcast we did Tuesday night. And then also in, in my in, in the regular show that posted on Wednesday, the, the full Locked Dead Wolves episode. And I want to revisit that uh had some Twitter comments related to how I how I positioned it. And I want to issue a little bit of clarity there uh, on my actual thoughts on D'Lo and, and the end of the game, uh, how that shook out. Uh, and I wasn't the only one that wasn't happy with how things operated towards the end of the game. Uh, I, w- I want to point out a couple of interesting, uh, actually one in particular article um, that that basically made my point. Uh, so I want to read an excerpt from there. Then I also want to talk about Carl Anthony Towns and how the Grizzlies continue to find different ways to slow him down. But on the flip side of that, it means that Towns is so good and so unique of a player. It's causing Memphis to completely change how they operate. And there's another article, another national writer who wrote about this. And I want to pull an excerpt from there as well. So a couple of articles that have a Timberwolves kind of lean to them that I want to get to today. And that's what I want to focus the show on. Then on Friday, I want to say, I want to go through like a list of the things that the Timberwolves need to do Friday night to win. Um, And it's not it's not hasn't been the same thing for each one of these preview shows because it depends on how Memphis has been adjusting throughout the series. So it's not going to be identical to, to what the keys were necessarily going into game five. I think we have to react to how game five shook out. How can the Wolves counter Memphis's counters, right? Well, that's the name of the game in the playoffs. In-series adjustments are 
are somehow not necessarily talked about enough. I think to think that game six of Wolves Grizzlies first round is anywhere similar to where we were, you know, call it random December game, Memphis, Minnesota in the regular season. They're not the same. They're very, very different. Um, so I want to, that'll be Friday's show then as well. Let's start with the Delo conversation because I think this is a really kind of hot button issue. Um, and I bet like I, I love D'Angelo Russell. I think he's a really good player. I think he arguably had the best season of his career this year. I know he was an all-star in Brooklyn, an injury replacement all-star a few years ago. Um, but I think all things considered, he changed the way he played a little bit. He was asked to do some different things. He by far played the best defense of his career individually. And as a team defender, he was allowed to do some things in terms of the, the Wolves did a good job of finding the correct matchups for him defensively. And then he used his length, his basketball IQ. He's a very intelligent player to jump passing lanes, et cetera, almost play a free safety at times within the Timberwolves defense. And I, you know, I, I think on the ball too, I think he, he, the effort level was much higher. I think he tried to get through screens. I think he tried to defend throughout the regular season. All this is true. So I want to start by saying, I really like D'Angelo Russell. I think he's a good player. I said in the post game show, I think both the postcast, the regular show on Wednesday, that he was a major issue down the stretch in the Wolves offense. He took some ill-advised shots, et cetera, shot selection, I stand by that. I got some comments on Twitter related to him only shooting the ball once in the final few minutes. And it was that end of, uh, it was actually really, well, I want to get to that possession. The the second to last Timberwolves offensive possession, not counting the three quarters court heave from Towns at the buzzer, but the possession prior to the Edwards three-pointer was a bad possession. Um, so I want to talk through that. But let me say overall that D'Lo did miss uh four shots in the final eight minutes of the fourth or three shots in the final eight minutes of the fourth quarter, including that last one. And none of them were good in terms of shot selection, which is a common issue for Dilo. When his shot selection is good, he makes, it seems like darn near every wide open three pointer he takes, right? When he's actually taking open shots in the rhythm of the offense, he's a dynamic offensive player and he can get his own shot. He can score in tough isolation situations, end of clock situations because he can get his shot off from anywhere. But those are, it doesn't mean he always will, right? His success rate, as it would be for any player, is much tougher when it's, or much lower when it's a tough contested shot. And that was the issue here, is all of those shots that D'Lo took. And then also consider the fact that he's initiating the offense, so he's at least partially responsible for the lack of overall offensive success by for the Timberwolves down the stretch. I misspoke when I said, whatever I said, crunch time, late in the game, you know, D'Lo, he only took one of those shots in the final, whatever you want to call it, two, three minutes. Starting from when he re-entered the game earlier in the fourth quarter, he took three poor shots. Um, and in general, the Timberwolves offense was not running very efficiently. And I think it's fair to point that out when it comes to D'Angelo Russell. I want to point to John Hollinger, though, at The Athletic. Um, he has, uh, of course, if you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, uh, please consider it. They do a great job. The local guy, you know, John Krasinski, everybody locally in the Twin Cities, as well as, uh, you know, every market. But John Hollinger nationally, um, he had an excerpt. In his article, and I'm going to read a little bit of it. Of course, this is a, a subscription site, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, but but Hollinger talks through that final second to last Timberwolves possession. So the Wolves get a rebound down by one with the ball with 27 seconds left. Chris Finch has a timeout. And I remember watching this and looking at the clock and thinking he could call it. But I think you save it because if you don't score here, you need it. If you do score it here and then Memphis scores, you need it to advance the ball. So in the moment, I thought it was correct to not call a timeout. Also, they had numbers in transition. Hollinger included a screenshot in his article of five wolves rushing 
to get the rebound and get down the court. Two Grizzlies laying on the floor um, and two others at the free throw line, even at the free throw line. Only one Grizzly is back above the arc, ready to get back in transition the other way. Uh, Hollinger says, quote, Minnesota appeared to have an advantage after a crazy possession by Memphis nearly resulted in a brutal turnover and still ended with both Morant and Clark. Brandon Clark sprawled on the ground with Minnesota in possession. He has that screenshot. He says, Chris Finch saw the same thing and wisely opted not to use his final timeout, figuring he had a five-on-three power play. Unfortunately, two things happened. First, Clark shot up from the ground almost immediately. He goes on to say that it was crazy how fast he stood up, so it was a five-on-four instead of a five-on-three. And then he says, worse yet, Russell decided for some reason to throttle back once he crossed half-court rather than push Minnesota's advantage, one that likely would have left Town stampeding down the lane and resulted in either an open pass to him or more likely a trail three for Edwards when Brooks had to rotate. Morant still ended up picking up Townsend transition, pretty much the optimal mismatch for Minnesota. John Morant, one of the worst one-on-one defenders in the league. Carl Anthony Towns, one of the best offensive players in the league. And not even accounting for the size difference, but that, you know, makes it uh, makes it an even better matchup for the Timberwolves. With the even smaller Tyus Jones, the only Memphis player who could scram switch him out of it, look for them at the bottom of the screen in the clip below. Instead of finding the mismatch, though, Here's what Russell did. And he then dribbles into that really difficult kind of like eight footer from the left side of the floor that he, uh, or I guess it was, it was, uh, not quite an eight footer. Where was it? Um, yeah, it really was. It was like an eight, 10 footer just to the left of the key. And he clanged it off the backboard. Um, that was the wrong decision. I, I don't, I like, I don't know what, what else we say about that other than, um, then there's no reason to slow it down, right? The Timberwolves didn't have a one-point lead. It wasn't even a tie game in which you could defend that, saying, okay, we score, they only have three seconds. Timberwolves were trailing. There's no reason to go slow there, especially if you have numbers. And D'Lo is a really intelligent player. That's something he should have recognized. And the only thing I can think is he wanted to take that last-second shot because by waiting for Memphis to get back, you're you're losing your advantage. It made no sense. And then to compound matters, he took a really difficult shot that he missed badly, and the Grizzlies got to go back the other way. Of course, then they they score. I, I, uh, they make both free throws. I think John Morant made both free throws before the Anthony Edwards three that tied the game, and then we know what happened in the final possession with Morant beating Edwards when he gambled for the steal. So that, to me, is what stuck in my head when I did that live postcast not 15 minutes after that happened. That was what stood out in my head was that possession and how poorly that was managed by D'Lo and and in general by, I mean, he's the one to blame there, right? Um, And of course, Russell struggled throughout the series with the shot. This is by no means to to like put any of this series as a whole, the 3-2 deficit on D'Angelo Russell. He just hasn't played that well. I know he's better than he's played in the series. I think both things, I know that both things can be true. He's really only had the one positive game. He's had a couple of kind of neutral games and a couple of really bad games. Uh, and that's tough when he's one of your two max guys. Uh, and I, I think it's totally fine to call that out and be honest about it. Yeah. Anthony Edwards had some rough isolation possessions as well, but, uh, I said this on Twitter an ant step back three, that's only lightly contested from 29 feet is better than a heavily contested eight, nine, 10, 12 foot anywhere. D'Angelo Russell jumper inside the arc in almost every situation. Um, so I, I completely stand by that. I think that's hundred percent true. All right, let's talk about Towns. Let's talk about Memphis's defense here next, and that's that's what we'll do here the rest of the show. First, though, let's talk about our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting, stats, and sports info. The lines for this series have been pretty consistent in terms of home versus road, and I'm going to pull up what it is at this moment for Grizzlies at Minnesota on Friday. Um, 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to get, make sure that I get it right. See if it's moved at all here. Um, all right. Friday night, the Timberwolves are actually only one point underdogs. They were two point underdogs the last time they were at home. So the Grizzlies are favored minus one Friday night in Minnesota at betonline.net. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NBA playoffs and the start of the MLB season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sport wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A reminder, uh, after you make this your first listen, uh, a reminder that you can also, I guess this has, this, you can make this your first listen regardless. And then after the Timberwolves game on Friday, listen to the live postcast on Locked On Sports Minnesota on YouTube. Um, you can listen to uh, the Twins have won, I think, six in a row now, five or six, six in a row, I believe. You can listen to Locked On Twins live postcast at Locked On Sports Minnesota. These are YouTube shows on the Locked On Sports Minnesota YouTube page. It's a brand new uh site, really a brand new initiative we're doing in just Minnesota and Atlanta with Locked On. Um, and uh, we do live postcasts myself and Chalanga from Zone Coverage and the CND NBA podcast. Um, and uh, we also post those to the audio feed. So be sure to check that out following the game Friday. Hopefully after Wolves win, we'll do the same thing Sunday and into the second round of the playoffs. Let's think positively about that. Um, so be sure to check that out. Subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota on YouTube if you have not already. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about Towns and the Grizzlies defense. Uh, first, let's talk about this angle, which is interesting and something that I hadn't necessarily considered, and, and I should have. This comes from a SportsIllustrated.com article by Michael Pena, who does a fantastic job um, at Sports Illustrated. We've talked about some of his stuff throughout the year. He's done some power rankings and stuff like that. But he uh, had an entire article. He had a good article, by the way, following Game 5 about how about Memphis's lineup that they've now shifted to. But the most interesting point he made, I think was actually prior to the game on Tuesday. So this was an article that posted before game five when the series was still tied two to two. The headline of the article is cat and Ant-Man are the NBA's new dynamic duo. It's a great breakdown of how Townsend Edwards uh, are dominant offensively. He talks through their two man game. That is what he calls a nightmare for opponents. A lot of the stuff we've talked about here on the show, but some great video clips and uh, a good breakdown for people that uh, are interested in exactly how the Wolves do it. Some comments from both the Wolves and Grizzlies about guarding Edwards and Towns together. The the issues that Xavier Tillman's had um, guarding it, the, the counters that the Wolves have made to the different coverages the Grizzlies have played. But there's an interesting note right in the middle of it that is actually its own paragraph in parentheses for Michael Pena. He says, quote, quick aside, not enough has been made of how as the best player on a seven seed, Carl Anthony Towns has already forced a team with this season's second highest winning percentage to cycle through three different starting lineups. The Grizzlies' original starting five in the regular season was a plus 24.9 in 109 minutes coming into this playoff series. Towns instantly made it unplayable. That's a fascinating way to look at this. We can we can argue till the cows come home 
about how Towns needs to do more in this series, et cetera. He's had a couple of poor games. Uh, you know, the Timberwolves offense hasn't gotten in gear. They've had a couple games below 100 points. All that can be true. But let's take a moment to acknowledge that this is this is a great point. The Timberwolves completely changed how one of the league's best overall teams in terms of net rating, winning percentage, everything. They're obviously the number two seed in the West, right? And a good defensive team, a top 10 defensive team all year long with a defensive player that your candidate in Jaron Jackson Jr. And a good offensive rebounder and a good shot blocker in Steven Adams. They've completely, uh, not offensive rebounder, a good overall rebounder in Steven Adams. It can't even get on the court hardly at all now. Um, the Grizzlies have had to completely shift their strategy defensively. There's actually a couple quotes in here from Grizzlies players that speak to that as well, how basically they've just had to completely change what they're doing. Obviously, it's working to an extent. We've seen some bad Towns games. We've seen the Grizzlies go up 3-2 in the series. But the fact that the Grizzlies had to make this many adjustments in the first place, and they're also one of the rare teams that has the roster and the depth, the personnel to actually be able to do this and pull it off. Not many teams have multiple long, rangy, athletic defenders that are able to switch almost everything, that are able to, you know, to to double towns quickly and still recover to the perimeter. Um, but the Grizzlies, with their mixture of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark and, to a lesser extent, Xavier Tillman and Steven Adams, uh, I guess Adams doesn't fit that category that I just described at all, but the depth that the Grizzlies have gives them the ability to do that and to come in waves at Towns, to withstand some of the foul trouble they've gotten themselves into, and to also change up what they're doing schematically as well, and, and to switch, again, almost everything. Now, Pena's second article, which posted during the day on Wednesday, following the Grizzlies' win, is all about the small ball lineup that Memphis deployed on Tuesday night that worked really well for them. And that's where I want to spend most of the rest of the time, is how Memphis really did do a good job of of, of making life difficult for the Timberwolves, Um and specifically, Carl Anthony Towns. Um, I, I, we talked about this briefly on the postcast. I, I think uh, mostly the live postcast on Tuesday, myself and Chalanga, about how the 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 Grizzlies put Dylan Brooks at the four and told him to guard Carl Anthony Towns, which we've seen teams use power forwards and you know uh, essentially just smaller players guard Towns, and then teams have doubled him. Uh, that's what they did. The, the Grizzlies did that anyway. Um, and they knew that if the Timberwolves kept Towns on the perimeter or near the elbows, which they did, Brooks is physical enough that he could get low, push Towns away from the elbow. And, uh, we all know that, to, and the other, the, the flip side, not the flip side, I guess the other layer to this is that Brooks and the Grizzlies knew that Towns likes to, you know, use his arms and his elbows and, and do all sorts of things to try and get himself open when you're physical with him. They were hoping, no no doubt, to draw some offensive fouls on Towns. But worst case, to be physical with him and push him out further away from the paint, but still play up on him so he's not obviously going to get a free jumper. And that's what happened. I mean, Brooks forced Towns into a couple of tough jumpers. Um, he did make a couple of threes as well, especially or throughout the game. He made five threes and six attempts until he, made, he had that heave at the end of the game. So Towns was ultra efficient, but Memphis, that was enough of a, of a monkey wrench thrown into the Timberwolves offense that they had to kind of operate differently down the stretch. And, and it allowed the Grizzlies to double team. It allowed them to do a few different things. And the Wolves didn't really have a clear counter to that. I want to close the show by, by talking a little bit more about that and what the Wolves could potentially do differently um, as we get into, as we get into game six now on Friday night. First though, let's talk about our friends 
over at Rock Auto. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Winder often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have a computer with access to rockauto.com both at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why would you spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? When Rock Auto is a family business, they've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could possibly need, from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil to even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's close today's show by continuing the Towns and the Memphis defense conversation. I, I think that Dylan Brooks at the four is something we're going to see more of. It's not sustainable, obviously, for the bulk of a game. Um, I, I think that at some point, the Timberwolves just decide to play a little bit bigger. Minnesota kind of made things. Uh, I want to preface this. Well, Minnesota left Jordan McLaughlin on the four a little bit more for some of these matchups late in the game, and they kind of countered the the smaller lineup with an even smaller lineup of their own which I understand in theory, and, and Jordan McLaughlin, again, played well, and so I understand why Chris Finch had McLaughlin on the floor, but those minutes of two and sometimes three point guards with McLaughlin and Russell or Beverly and Russell um, with multiple smalls on the floor like that, it really made it easier for Memphis to pull off this ultra-small lineup and get away in terms of rebounding. We'll talk a lot more about rebounding on Friday. We talked a lot about it on Wednesday's show, but Minnesota gave up 18 offensive rebounds to Memphis, and overall was a minus 11 in the total rebound category. And by the way, something we haven't talked much about is that the Wolves have completely abandoned offensive rebounding themselves, apparently, after being one of the league's best offensive rebounding teams during the season. They just haven't rebounded the ball on the offensive side of the floor. They haven't done well second chance points-wise in this series. And that matters too. And having a smaller lineup out there is going to play into that. A Memphis small ball lineup with Brandon Clark at the five and, uh, and and Dylan Brooks at the four is still out rebounding a, a Timberwolves lineup with Towns on the four. Now, Memphis has done a great job across the board of keeping Towns out of the paint on both ends of the floor, causing him to rush out and contest shots on the perimeter on defense. And offensively, the Timberwolves haven't been able to get him in the post very often um, because of the fact that Memphis is so quick with their double team and they're so long and so rangy. The Wolves just haven't been able to consistently get him post touches. And that's okay, but it all just means that Towns is not in the paint enough and he isn't able to do enough damage, especially in the offensive glass. He's rebounded the ball himself well, given the circumstances. But as a team, the Timberwolves just don't have enough uh, in terms of guys that are plus rebounders. That's been an issue all season on the defensive end of the floor. But in this series, 
against a team like Memphis, it has been a glaring issue. And that's another thing that the Timberwolves countering Memphis's small lineup with an even smaller lineup of their own. It kind of, that's another thing that, it, that you have to factor in that it really impacts. So late in the game, with the way that Memphis was playing against Carl Anthony Towns, putting Brooks on him and still trying to, trying to uh, you know, be physical with him on the perimeter, double him if he catches the ball anywhere near the elbows or below, that kind of lent itself to Anthony Edwards getting more isolation opportunities. He did that. He mostly was unsuccessful, although I, I, was, I went back and watched. I was fine with his shot selection in the fourth quarter, except for there was one kind of bad isolation step back three. Probably went to take him, but the others were drives to the basket, at least being aggressive. Um, and just didn't make enough shots. Uh, Ant himself, I think, had tunnel vision a little bit in this game. No assists for him. He did just have the one turnover, um, but it was a fairly empty stats game for him. Only one rebound, no assists, no steals, no blocks for Ant. Um, and, and part of that is a function, again, of how aggressive Memphis was defensively, and, and credit to them for the scheme and for executing it the way that they did. But the Timberwolves just really need to find a way. If Memphis is going to guard Towns this way, then it's either get him in the post and quickly pass out of the double when it comes, or Towns goes quick when he gets the ball, splits the double, draws a foul, whatever that looks like, but he can't take his time and allow the Grizzlies to bring two guys or to all of a sudden have three guys rushing at him. Or the other option is go fast on the perimeter, run some run some actions like we saw early in the game in game five throughout much of the game in game four when the Wolves won, which is false action away from the ball, get Towns going in motion, run him off of pin downs, do whatever you can to get him with the ball, you know, uh, instead of in a stagnant location where he's just standing there saying, you know, asking for the ball and it's allowing the Grizzlies to set up their entire defense revolved around Carl Anthony Towns catching the ball. Because as we've talked about in the show, he, him get Towns getting the ball in the middle of the floor is very hard to double team. But I mean, this is, the Grizzlies have found the best way to kind of counter that and, and the Wolves haven't, and that's the, the this Brooks lineup. Um, pushing Towns off of his spot, Russell being hesitant to, to you know, to do much with his, um, you know, to, to be really decisive with the issues he's had with his shot in this series. Uh, and then also just in general, the Wolves not doing a good enough job of getting Towns touches uh, throughout, throughout the course of the game. I know he was far more effective in this game than he was the previous one, but still, he should have more than 15 shots in a playoff game, 35 minutes, um, especially in a game where he's five of seven outside the arc. All right, on Friday, I want to dig in a little bit more and and try and figure out what those counters could be for Minnesota. What might they do on both sides of the floor? We talked a lot about the Timberwolves' defense following the game on on, on Wednesday, uh, both the live postcast and, and the regular podcast. I want to talk a little bit more defense. Again, John Morant was pretty quiet in the first half, but went off down the stretch, and I, I harped on the Timberwolves' def defense in general. I want to get back to that. I want to talk a little bit more about what they can do defensively, what should work against um, against John Morant and the Grizzlies on Friday in Minneapolis. So we'll do that more of that on Friday's show. And then, of course, we'll do the live postcast following the game Friday night, which hopefully hopefully is not the last postcast of the season. We could push this thing to game seven. All right, that's all we have for today here on the show. Thanks again for listening or for watching Locked on Wolves. Of course, Locked on Wolves is part of the Locked on Podcast Network, and you can find this anywhere. YouTube, Apple, Google, Spotify, Odyssey. You can also follow on Twitter at Locked on T-Wolves. And at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, C K E N. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Thanks again for making us your first listen. And a reminder that your second listen can be Locked On NBA. From the first jump ball, the play in tournament, to the last possession of the finals, Lockdown Experts take you deep inside the playoffs with insight and analysis that affects all 30 teams. Once again, 
I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked on Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 